Okay, we're looking at this passage uh, this mo- this afternoon from Acts chapter 15. And uh, we've got a long passage before us from verse 1 of Acts 15 down to verse 5 of Acts 16. Um, it covers a lot of ground. In the past, uh, I would have preached this in several messages. Um, but this morning, uh, this afternoon, we're doing it in one. So uh, there we are. There's a couple of things I want to put in place first. And one is that um, mathematics is funny in the Christian life. Um, for example, you know the principle that 100% plus 100% equals 100%. Um, for example, when um, a couple get married, it's 100%. Uh, the man marries 100% of the woman, but they become one new flesh. Okay. Uh, and this kind of principle of 100% plus 100% equals 100% applies in a whole lot of areas that um, we won't go into uh, this afternoon, but um, we'll we'll talk about those on other occasions. The particular thing I want to say this afternoon is that um, in the Christian faith as well, there are situations where if you add anything to certain things, you get nothing. Okay? Add anything to certain things and you get zero. Um, And uh, those particular things are the essentials of the Christian faith. In the Reformation time, five things were identified which were called um, the solas of the Reformation, the things that we hold to alone, okay? And uh, in the Reformation time, they identified five of these. They said we are saved by Christ alone, by Christ alone. We are saved by God's grace alone. We're saved by faith alone. We um, have our our authority uh, from our supreme authority from the Bible alone. And then uh, we live to the glory of God alone. And you can't add anything to any of those things without actually destroying them. Uh, And... um, that gives us our introduction to the passage that we're looking at today. Add anything to salvation by grace alone, by Christ alone, through faith alone, revealed in the scripture alone, and to the glory of God alone, and you end up with nothing left. Now, okay, so we we dive into Acts 15 then, and we're going to look at um, the passage in four stages. Firstly, we're going to look at Um, the issue raised in verse 1 to verse 5. Then we're going to look at how the issue was resolved in verse 6 down to verse 11. Then we're going to look at how the issue was ruled on, the ruling that was made from verse 12 down to verse 21. And then the result of it all, uh, which we'll find in the rest of the chapter and up to verse 5 of chapter 16. Okay, so the issue raised. Um, Salvation is free. Salvation is free. However, can you go direct to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved? Or if you're a Gentile, do you have to take a kind of diversion? Can you become a a Christian without first becoming a Jew? Now, that that was the issue that was immediately raised in the beginning of uh, chapter 15. You see there um, in Antioch, lots of people who were not Jews. They'd never been Jews. They were just 
Gentiles. They had a Gentile pagan background. They used to worship the soap opera gods of the Gentile nations. They lived the kind of crazy lives that Gentiles used to live. Their standards were different. Their way of life was different. Uh, to the Jews, it was a disgusting way of life. It 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 was something that oh, you, you just couldn't talk about, the way that the Gentile nations lived. And um, so it's understandable, perhaps, that when people are, are told, when Jewish Christians are told that Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus, uh, this shakes their world. Uh, what, how will the Gentiles live? What will they? What will they do? Will they uh, carry their Gentile way of life into the church? What is this going to do? And so some people came down from Judea to Antioch, and they taught the believers. And listen to the words that they use: "Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you." cannot be saved. Do you see that? Um, later on in verse 5 um, in Jerusalem, they said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Surely they must become Jews before they can become Christians. Surely. The way to Jesus must go via Jerusalem, must go via the temple, yeah? Uh, people uh, must surely be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. It's kind of understandable in a way in the Old Testament uh, to come to know the living God meant to come to be part of his people. You became a Jew. It, it's what you did. Um, and for guys, that involved... Um, uh, surgical operation. You know, you became a Jew. And it, it, it that protected you from Gentile craziness. God had put a distinction between his people and the nations around. And that distinction was the law of Moses. You you, you ate certain things. You, you lived in a certain way. You observed certain festivals. You kept certain rest periods. Uh, and you were circumcised. That was That was really, really important. And so uh, in the Old Testament times, if you wanted to know the, the true and living God, you could do that. But you had to come this way. Not everyone could do it, of course. Um, and we've seen different uh, people who were excluded from all possibility of, um, of becoming part of the people of God. But for most people, that was the way. And that distinction was the marker that you belong to God. God had put a difference. Now... In Antioch, Gentiles are coming to Jesus Christ and they're not going through all of that. What if people come to God without this difference? Just to say, come to Jesus Christ for salvation, um, it just seems too easy, too naive, too simplistic, too bare, too empty. Um, surely they'll have to become Jews uh, in order to become Christians. Otherwise, they cannot be saved. How can they be saved? How could they conceivably be saved? Now, that's the issue that was raised. And it's a certain kind of, um, uh, it can be an issue to us today. For example, uh, some people will say that there are dietary laws that Christians must keep. 
There are movements that say that if you eat pork, then you cannot be saved. Okay? Um, there are other movements that say Christians must keep feasts and fasts. There are festivals and fasts that Christians must do, otherwise you're not really a Christian. Uh, robes and rituals. Uh, sometimes people will say uh, you're not really a Christian unless you do this, unless you do that other thing, unless these ceremonies are fulfilled in your life. You can't really be a Christian. Okay? So the issue is raised. What about the resolution of the issue? Well, it's really interesting how um, Paul, um, how, sorry, how Peter addresses the issue uh, in there in verse 6 down to verse 11. And I want you to see the subject of the verbs um, in, in what Peter says. Uh, I'll just read the verses to refresh our minds. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. And do you see what um, Peter is saying? He's saying, look, God has done something. Verse 7, God made a choice. God sent me uh, that the Gentiles should hear from my lips. God made a choice. Verse 8, God knows the heart. God showed he accepted them. God gave the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. Verse 9, God did not discriminate. God purified their hearts by faith. Uh, and so Peter says, look, you, you, you must recognise that something big is happening. God has done something dramatic. He then says in verse 10 something that's, that's very interesting. Um, he says, why try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. A yoke in French is called uh, a joug, uh, J-O-U-G, uh, or J-O-U-G. And uh, a yoke is like a big wooden beam that if a cow is pulling a cart, or if uh, in Britain um, there were always milkmaids, it's kind of like a, a folk figure, really, the milkmaid. And the milkmaid has a wooden yoke across her shoulders, and from the yoke, from either end, uh, is uh, hanging two buckets of milk, okay? And it enables you to carry a heavy load. And so the idea here, uh, Peter, that Peter uses, is that um, the Jews had a yoke to carry, um, but they were not able to bear it. It was too heavy for them. They never were able to bear it. And now he says, why are you trying to put that yoke, that same yoke, on the necks of the Gentiles? He said, we could never bear it, neither will they be able to. And that's really important because Peter is saying, remember that uh, having God's law 
is one thing. Keeping God's law is another. And God's law does not enable us to be saved. God's law shows us that we need to be saved. God's law shows us and exposes our sin to us because we can't bear the yoke. We can't bear the yoke. The law is good. There's no problem with the law. The the burden that the milkmaid is carrying is two fine buckets of milk. There's no problem with the milk, but she can't carry it. Uh, In the same way, the law uh, is is something that we could never, ever fulfil. And so it exposes our need to be saved by grace, by grace. And do you see that Peter says that? He says, no, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. He says uh, that it's salvation uh, by grace alone, through Christ alone. You can see it there, can't you? We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. There is now no distinction. There's no distinction. All are saved by grace. All who are saved are saved by grace alone, through Christ alone. Grace, here's a little thing for you to remember. It's very important to remember those uh, alones of the Reformation, okay? Uh, We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, revealed in the scripture alone, uh, to the glory of God alone, okay? Really good to remember those. But here's another one, a little mnemonic to help you remember grace. Um, God's riches at Christ's expense, okay? God's riches at Christ's expense. We are saved freely by grace. Okay, and so um, James stands and makes a judgment. And uh, the judgment you find in verse uh, 19 to verse 21. And that's the ruling that in the end is sent out to the to the churches, um, to the Gentiles. And he says, it's my judgment, therefore, verse 19 down to verse 21, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. What is what is he saying? Well, he's saying, yes, we can come freely uh, to Jesus Christ. Uh, but that freedom... Um, is a freedom that brings implications and it's also a freedom that we can give up. The freedom that brings implications, well, of course, to turn from idolatry and to idolatry. Uh, for idolatry, um, it seems obvious to us, doesn't it? Always seems obvious to, to Christians that when you come to worship the living and true God, then it means you're no longer going to worship statues, um crazy imaginations of people's minds um, that um, your your first love is going to be given to uh, the real the true and living God you will come to worship God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit idolatry is is um, is given its death blow when we come to faith in Jesus Christ immorality as well 
from sexual immorality. Roman sexual ethics were a nightmare. Essentially, it was uh, might makes right, okay? If you were the strongest, the most socially powerful person, then you could fulfill whatever desires you had. And they didn't think <clears throat> like people do today in terms of um, orientations or anything like that. Um, they just had desires that they wanted to fulfill. And if you were strong enough, then you could do it. And if you were too weak, then you had to um, submit yourself. That was Roman sexual ethics in a nutshell. Uh, and uh, to uh, adopt and to come to recognise the beauty and the simplicity of the Bible sexual ethic uh, is something that is an implication of salvation, isn't it? Christians come to faith in Jesus Christ. Nobody is, is saying that it's not a struggle, but whatever background you come from, you come to faith in Jesus Christ and he turns your world upside down. And part of that upside down um, turning world is that your sexual ethic um, gets revolutionized. You come to see sex the way God sees it. And so they were taught to refrain from immorality. That seems very obvious to us. But what about blood? From the meat of strangled animals and from blood. Seems rather odd to us who live in France, because after all, um, we talk about eating our steaks blue. It's not blue, is it? I don't know why we say blue, but we talk about it like that. And um, then there's, of course, um, uh, steak tartare, uh, which is not cooked at all. And um, uh, to us, it, it may seem rather strange. In the land of Boudinoir, to talk about the, the need to re refrain from blood. But James does give his uh, reason. He says, for the law of Moses is preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. What is he saying? He's saying, look, it is really important that Jews and Gentiles now form one people of God. The distinctive mark of the people of God is their faith in Jesus Christ. And there must be one people made up of Jews and Gentiles. In order for that to happen, the Jews must make a huge adaptation and, uh, and change the way they look at everything, at the world. But also the Gentiles must make adaptations too, because freedom brings responsibilities, but it also gives us the freedom to give up our freedom. To give up our freedom for the sake of the people around us. And so James is saying, in order to help the Jews to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, modify your habits, yeah? Modify the way you eat and, and the way you live in order to help people come to faith in Jesus. And for us, that has immense um, um, application uh, because we too, we, we want to win people. And so we want to adapt and to become um, as much like the people around us as we can while maintaining the distinction that, that faith in Jesus Christ gives. Okay, so um, to live our authentically uh, Christian lives, following Jesus Christ radically, but also in the midst of a French city uh, where we live as much like French people uh, as we can, uh, but, but French people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ.
And so the result of all that, well, if you look at verse uh, 30 to 35, you see something really wonderful. The letter is sent to the Gentile churches and um, it goes off down to Antioch and the people read it and are glad. And um, the uh, brothers down there, the believers down there are encouraged and strengthened. And the result is verse 33, blessing and peace, blessing and peace. And that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? When um, people address a source of potential profound conflict and work it through together, the result comes of blessing and peace. But it's not all rosy because we see in verse 36 uh, down to verse 41, um, disagreement and division. And the disagreement is not over um, a principle, it's over a person. It's not over a doctrine, it's over uh, a fellow worker. And the fellow worker is John Mark. John Mark, who in Acts chapter 13 had um, started on the mission, uh, missionary journey with, uh, with Paul and Barnabas, but then had turned back. He'd gone home. We don't know why. We don't know anything about it, really. But he went home. Barnabas says, we'll give him another go. We'll, we'll take him along again. Um, and Paul says, no, it's not wise. And... Um, Look at verse 39. It says, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And so the disagreement was was sharp, was painful. Uh, It caused division. Uh, They no longer worked together. They went off in different directions. Barnabas took Mark, went to Cyprus. But Paul took Silas and left and went to Syria and Cilicia. Uh, so there is, there's disagreement, there's a sharp um, division. But it's not a disaster, is it? Because later on we find that there's reconciliation and we find that uh, the work of all uh, is commended. But not only that, but the work of uh, outreach is multiplied. There are now two teams where there was one team before. And so God can use even hard, painful Uh, difficult things uh, to further the work of the gospel in the world. The next thing that we see, uh, verse uh, 1 to 5 of chapter 16, is something really surprising. Uh, We see that Timothy gets circumcised. I'll just read those verses because they're quite surprising in the context of what we've been looking at. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. And so here is Timothy, and he'd seen uh, Paul uh, pass through his area in the past. Uh, Timothy had been um, brought up to believe in the living God uh, by his mother and grandmother. And now um, he has the opportunity to serve with Paul and with Silas. Um, But there is an issue, because although his mother was Jewish, his father was a Greek. 
and he'd never been circumcised. And so Paul says to him, well, I think we should circumcise you. Now, at that point, we all think, what, Paul? You know, um, you were there when the issue was raised. You were there when the discussions were made. You were there when the judgment was was uh, arrived at. You were there when the ruling was made. You were there when the letter was written. You're even delivering the letter to the people around. How, how can you possibly propose to circumcise Timothy? And, you know, I've had some bosses in my life, but nothing like this. You know, uh, hey, Timothy, come with us on the mission. And by the way, uh, there's a little detail that we need to talk about. Uh, why? Well, again, here is the issue. It's not to be saved. Timothy is saved. It's not about salvation. It's about winning the Jews. That's the issue. And so Timothy submits to this uh, surgical procedure at the hands of his new boss. And um, uh, after a suitable period of time, uh, they go off uh, into mission. What about us? Other issues that we might face where we might have to um, not submit to circumcision, although I dare say it's not impossible, even today. But there are other things. Now, I grew up in a, in a church uh, as a child where robes, rituals, candles and ceremonies were really important. That was what we did. I was in the choir. It was a robed choir. Uh, and every Sunday I would put on my cassock and surplus and my ruff. And we would, uh, we, we, we did a mean procession, we really did. Uh, and uh, we were uh, very careful about when we should stand, when we should sit, when we should kneel, when we should turn round, in which direction we should nod, uh, when we should uh, do a kind of um, a half kneel, when we should just nod our heads. Uh, my job was to snuff out the candles with a special candle snuffer. Uh, and uh, it was all very attractive. Um, but when I became a Christian, I've never since since attended a church like that. Never. Um, I've never ever uh, worn special clothes to preach, uh, as smart as I can, which is generally not very smart, uh, but um, never, ever, ever worn robes to preach or anything like that. Except once. Not long after we arrived in France, a lady died and uh, the pastor of the church where we were uh, was away. And um, so they asked if I would conduct the funeral. I was um, uh, a little bit concerned because my, my, it was early days in France. My French wasn't wonderful. The church met in a garage um, and uh, many of the fro folks who were going to come were from a Catholic background and already to have a funeral in a garage. It didn't look like a garage, it looked like a church, but it was a garage. You couldn't really hide the fact from the outside. And um, there they were going to be confronted by a funeral ceremony where the guy who, who was going to be preaching had a, a very, very fruity accent. And interesting French. And um, the lady who died, her mother said, uh, we'd really like it if you would wear um, a robe, a pastor's robe. 
Well, thankfully, the pastor uh, and I were roughly the same size. I was a little taller. He was a little, perhaps, um, anyway. And uh, I tried his robes, robes on. They were behind the door in his study. I tried them on and they fitted. Uh, we got his permission, of course. But it took us 15 minutes to attach the tabs. There were three of us at it. Uh, one of one of them, um, one of us said he was sure that he knew how to do it, but it still took 15 minutes to get those things on. And there I was dressed in the pastoral robes, didn't quite come down to my ankles. Um, they were a little bit short, but your hands still disappear in those dreadful sleeves. I can remember it to this day. And I looked a terrible uh, sight in these pastor's robes. Why did I wear it? Because you want to win people. You don't want to be a barrier to people. You want to win people. And robes are nothing. It, it doesn't matter whether you wear robes or not. Uh, it's, it's, it was totally irrelevant to me, but it meant a lot to them. And so I wore the robes. It would apply in other situations, wouldn't it? For example, you go into mission in, in uh, Muslim countries and in some places it's really important for women to cover their arms, to wear long sleeves and um, not to wear uh, th uh, dresses or shorts that are too short. Well, in those circumstances, you cover your arms. It's not a big deal, is it? You cover your arms because you want to reach people and not offend people. And so in this passage, then, we see two things, really. We see this wonderful freedom that we have uh, through Christ alone, being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, revealed in the scriptures alone, and to the glory of God alone. This grace being Christ's, God's riches at Christ's expense, but bringing us a freedom that we can then give up in order to win people.